This is CrossCut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, at the launch of Seattle's 2023 campaign season, I talk with city reporter Josh Cohen about some of the biggest issues Seattle faces. Mayor Bruce Harrell says he's optimistic, calling it a time of change in the city. Josh recently spoke with campaign consultants, pollsters, pundits, and representatives of big business and labor to get a sense of what's at stake in this election and what voters might want. Also, we're looking at a pretty big shakeup in the Seattle City Council. Four incumbents have announced that they will not seek re-election this fall. And a fifth is running for King County Council. If she wins, that would leave her seat open too. All in all, it's a pretty seismic shift in the city's governing body. While the council has almost always been left of center and is likely to remain so, the change leaves pundits speculating as to what exactly voters will choose in November. So, Josh, there is an election coming up in Seattle this fall. We are about to enter campaign season. And it might be an interesting one because, first off, because things might be, you know, a little turbulent politically. We're still exiting the pandemic in some ways, still dealing with some of the fallout there. And the Seattle City Council is going to have a pretty huge shakeup. When November comes around, there will be new faces elected to the Seattle City Council. So we know that four of Seattle's seven districts are up for grabs. You recently took a look at all of this, issues facing the city, issues that might drive the election. There's a lot to unpack. So I was wondering if we could start with the Seattle City Council. First of all, which council members are leaving and what feels significant to you about that? Yeah, so to set the stage... In 2015, Seattle switched from all nine city council seats being citywide representatives to seven of the nine being district representatives, carving up the city into seven districts, you know, north, northwest, northeast, south, west, Seattle, et cetera, et cetera. And so this fall, the seven district council members are up for re-election. And um, the thing everybody is sort of keeping their eyes on is the fact that Four of those seven sitting city council members have decided not to run for re-election. That really turns this into a wide open race that could really shift. Well, it's definitely going to shift the makeup of the council and it could easily shift sort of the politics and the priorities of the council. And, you know, the city in a lot of ways. I mean, to shift the Seattle City Council so dramatically. Yeah. And, um, you know, it is interesting. A lot of people and sort of myself included until I I took the time to go and look at uh, previous elections, like we're talking about this as a historic shakeup that four incumbents are choosing not to run. But funny enough, just back in 2019, four incumbent district council members also chose not to run for re-election, opening the door for a bunch of new faces on the council. So this actually isn't totally unprecedented shakeup in politics. One sort of uh, additional factor is that one of our citywide council members, uh, Teresa Mosqueda, who is a longtime council member, is the budget chair. She is running for the King County Council this fall. So even though her seat is not up for election in November, uh, she could potentially be leaving the council at the start of 2024. So that would mean five new faces on the city council. Wow. Wow. So who who is leaving, I guess, specifically when we're talking about council members? 
the current council president, Deborah Juarez, who represents District 5, that's that's North Seattle. In a statement, Juarez wrote that she is honored to have served the city over the last eight years. She was first elected in 2015. She's leaving. So in Seattle tonight, Councilmember Alex Peterson announced he will not seek re-election this Council year. Member Alex Peterson, who represents District 4, that's sort of Northeast Seattle, Wallingford, the U District, he has only served for one term. He has chosen not to run for re-election. Breaking news, Seattle City Council Member uh, Longtime Sawant council member and socialist firebrand Shama Sawant, who represents District 3, uh, sort of Capitol Hill and East. Uh, she has decided not to run for re-election, which I'm sure we'll come back to. Mm-hmm. She spoke about her intentions just a short time ago in the Central District. Sawant, known for her socialist policies, has served on the council since 2014. And then finally, Lisa Herbold, who represents District 1, uh, which is mostly West Seattle. Her departure represents a big exodus of institutional knowledge. Before she was elected to the city council, she was an aide for former city council member Nick Licata. And so she's been in City Hall for decades now. And, you know, that is uh, sort of knowledge of how things operate that's uh, heading out the door. Councilmember Lisa Herbold made her announcement in a December newsletter saying, quote, I feel like it's time to do my part to create an open seat election in District 1. I believe that an open seat can better drive turnout and deliver District 1 to another progressive. It's a big, it's a big shakeup. And a lot of people, as you're saying, I mean, Shama Sawant, her departure for some might have appeared the most surprising that she's leaving because she's been, you know, so present in Seattle politics for the past decade. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, on the off chance that there's anyone listening to this podcast who doesn't know who Shama Sawant is, Mm -hmm. uh, she is an avowed socialist politician. We have shown that it's possible to succeed as an independent, grassroots, openly socialist campaign, not taking any money from big business, not currying favor with the establishment party. She has just been a sort of unwavering voice for leftist progressive socialist policy on the council and whether or not that has always helped her get stuff done or whether she's done the the sort of hard work of compromising politics is is maybe a separate question. But, you know, she she was very much like one of the first to call for 15 now, the $15 minimum wage. She successfully pushed a number of progressive policies, including making Seattle the first major American city to adopt a $15 an hour minimum wage. Or like later to, to tax big businesses like Amazon, which did eventually become a policy that passed and has been a critical source of funding for city programs. And yeah, so Sawant, so she's always sort of had a target on her back from big business and they tried to recall her in 2021. And now it's going to be up to voters to decide if Shama Sawant keeps her city council seat. It ended up going to a special election in December of 2021 and she barely survived recall. Seattle City Council member Shama Sawant is declaring an early victory in the recall campaign. She eked out a no on the recall by 310 votes. Oh, um, wow. I didn't realize that, that was... And, oh. and so, you know, to hear her tell it, uh, that does not have to do with her decision to run for re-election or not run for re-election. She, along with other socialist alternative members, recently launched a, a national project called Workers Strike Back, sort of a, a, a vision of like a, a national workers movement. And so she says she's leaving just to, to focus on that. Other pundits say, you know, she she can read a poll and she her chances of winning in a general election 
are diminished after so narrowly uh, avoiding recall. So, mm. you know, hard, hard to know what exactly is her motivation. Uh, but mm. yeah, she will be exiting and the the council's like far left guard, far left goalpost, if you will, will be shifting for sure. I mean, that strikes me as as one clear potential, potentially major shift in the Seattle City Council to not have Shama Sawant uh, on it. Yeah, there's no, I would say, there's not necessarily a sort of obvious heir apparent uh, to Sawant's mm. position in the race yet, although there are some sort of further left candidates that have entered at the last minute. I think that alone will sort of shift the politics of the council, but, but only so much, you know, um, of course, n- nothing is guaranteed, but uh, council member Tammy Morales, who represents South Seattle, she's running for re-election. And uh, I would say that, you know, her politics tend to line up on the sort of progressive side as Sawant sort of really thinking about affordable housing. She really cares about sort of community voice at the table. Um, she's really has a focus on transportation safety, really bike and pedestrian safety, since so many people have been injured and killed in her district, uh, biking and walking. Um mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I I think generally her her polit- the Venn diagram of her politics and Sawant's politics, like that there is overlap, and if she gets reelected, she she may very well sort of mark the new left wing of the council. Hmm. I don't know what your impression is of of the field so far. It's probably quite messy at this point. Yeah, it's I'd say it's it's pretty early to tell. There's. Um, you know, the the last I checked, there were 48 or 49 candidates in the race. Wow. And so I think we're still waiting to see sort of how things shake out, how people align, how, you know, big groups like the MLK Labor Council or the Chamber or whoever else sort of where the endorsements fall and where we sort of start seeing the alignments. Um, and that'll give us a better idea of sort of how this race will shake out. But I think, you know, one thing we do know is that there will be some very central issues at the heart of the race, sort of no matter who ends up as front runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you also explored some of those big issues facing the city right now. And you talked to a lot of people who spent a lot of time talking to voters or, or polling people or, you know, thinking about these things. And so, yeah, I wonder if you could talk about that. According to your sources, what are some of the biggest issues that are likely to drive this election? I think it'll come as no surprise to listeners that it's homelessness, it's public safety and policing, it's housing affordability, and then maybe equally important but not quite as front and center is the economy and sort of the threat of a looming recession and just there's lots of layoffs right now and there's just sort of a a sense of uh, uncertainty in the air and I think that will also play a role as we get towards November. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you found you found a survey saying as much like the Seattle Metro Chamber Index survey said Seattle voters are most frustrated or concerned about uh, 56% said homelessness, 38% said crimes, drugs, or public safety, 23% said the cost of living or housing affordability. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, if I recall correctly, the, the jump from there is like, then down to sort of 7%, 7%. Those are just like clear front runner issues for people. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean, homelessness really, really jumps ahead, though. I mean, like even above public safety. So I mean, it seems like if a political candidate could somehow convince voters that they really have a solution, which I mean, 
feels almost impossible to imagine at this point, given the scope of the problem, given the length of time that the city, that the county has been toiling away at this problem. But if a politician could convince voters that they really have something that could work, then they really might have a chance. Yeah. Like you said, homelessness has been a top issue for voters for a long, long time, at least going back a few election cycles. And the sort of visible manifestation of the problem got worse during the pandemic. In the early days of the pandemic, uh, a lot of shelter space closed down because people couldn't be inside next to each other. And a lot of services were harder to access because it was remote. And so we just ended up with more tents on the street, more tent encampments in our parks. And it just, I think, ramped up the tension around homelessness as an issue and sort of people's real desire to see quick progress on it. And a lot of the consultants and pundits I spoke to said that, you know, everybody cares about homelessness. Every candidate is going to say that homelessness is a top issue. So the thing that's going to really shine through to voters is likely to be a candidate who has a strong policy position and can sort of say, this plan of mine is what's going to help us really make a dent in homelessness. Yeah, I, I think voters are ready for some some plans, some concrete ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder, it seems like maybe concrete, no matter what side of the sort of political spectrum that concrete idea could come from, perhaps a concrete idea that takes a behavioral health outreach approach could work, or maybe a sort of law and order tent encampment sweeps approach could work. I don't, I don't really know, but it, it seems like, as you've reported, current politicians have kind of taken a yes and approach to it so far, that there are a lot of kind of both sides efforts going on. Yeah, for sure. I think you would find skeptics on either end of the political spectrum to that sort of yes and approach. But Mm. I, I think it's fair to say that Mayor Bruce Harrell and his administration and some of the other sort of big players in city politics right now have really tried to, again, yes and both sides it, however you want to frame it, you know, we need to hire back more police and we're putting lots of money into hiring bonuses, but also we're they are trying to get a uh, new police alternative public safety department off the ground that would, you know, send out non-sworn officers to deal with behavioral health crisis crises in public. Similarly, the Harrell administration definitely ramped up the pace of encampment clearing in the city, but also is shifting money towards sort of behavioral health solutions, towards that sort of concerted outreach effort that does really help get people into housing instead of just moving them from one encampment to another. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of sort of uh, throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks right now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see both how, how candidates sort of shape their own policy platforms based on what's happening now and sort of, again, yeah, what, what resonates with voters. Mm hmm. Regarding public safety, too, there's there's been it's very political this this issue of public safety in Seattle. I mean, I think it just really came to a head around during the pandemic and has continued in this just like um, yeah this conversation about law and order and safety. And yet now there are fewer officers, and the issues involving downtown assaults, open air drug crime, and retail theft are flaring up again. But for yeah. sure, and yeah, I mean. Like you said, things truly came to a head during the pandemic. The 2020 uprisings in the wake of George Floyd's murder by a police officer was a real lightning rod for the city and, I mean, for Seattle, like, everywhere. And yeah. um, 
I think a lot of people look back at the 2021 election as some people call it a, a backlash to the protests in 2020, along with just sort of the city's handling of the pandemic. And I think voters really expressed some frustration. If you look, you know, Mayor Bruce Harrell beat former city councilwoman uh, Lorena Gonzalez. She uh, was part of a slate of council members who had uh, committed to cutting the police budget by 50 percent. Council President Lorena Gonzalez says she's ready to talk about proposals to cut the police department's budget. With the During the pandemic and, you know, that ended up really coming to bite her in the election and she lost by a pretty wide margin. Mm -hmm. And similarly, there were some really cut and dry races. Another city council race between um, Sarah Nelson, who again has sort of pushed a, a law and order message and Nikita Oliver, a lawyer and activist who was very involved in the 2020 protests, they ran against each other. Nikita, an explicit police abolitionist. Sarah Nelson has spent a lot of her first term in office pushing for more funding for police. And Sarah Nelson won. And then again, finally, I think a race a lot of people point to is the city attorney's race between Ann Davison, again, a, a conservative woman, somebody who ran as a Republican for state office versus Attorney Nicole Thomas Kennedy, again, an avowed abolitionist, and voters chose the Republican city attorney, although it's a nonpartisan office, but, mm -hmm. you know. But people know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, that that was, you know, something I was interested in because 2021 was a significant race in Seattle politically in that way, because it felt, I think, to a lot of people that 2021 was this kind of referendum on the Seattle City Council in some ways, on the politics of 2020. You know, I recall uh, just anecdotally hearing people call it a quote-unquote activist city council. And so the question now, I think, especially now that we are seeing so many council members leaving, the question now is kind of like, okay, so are we going to see maybe a repeat of 21? Are we, are we going to see perhaps a shift to the right? Or it's Seattle, so maybe not the right, but the center. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was curious what your sources were, were thinking about that at this time. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are watching and really curious to see if 2023 feels like a repeat of 2021. I think almost everybody I spoke to feels like the temperature has come down in the city. You know, there's obviously a lot of really key issues, as we talked about, a lot of a lot of stressful issues that are top of mind for voters. But it doesn't feel quite so just urgent and desperate, even maybe mm. the word. It's just like, uh, you know, fall 2021, there was we were still in the, the Delta wave, I'm pretty sure uh, mm -hmm. is which right. wave we were in. And it just, you know, people weren't back in the office. And uh, it just was like the the pandemic was still much more top of mind for folks. And, and now, even though, uh, you know, the, the virus is still a concern, we are just in a much different place. People are back in the office. People are out and about. They're going to sporting events. They're Mm -hmm. uh, you know, life feels a lot more normal. And I think that alone is bringing the temperature down. But, you know, again, homelessness and policing and public safety all still really important to voters. And again, like we discussed earlier, the economy is looking a little bit rough on the horizon. And I think people are worried about that. And all of those are going to be factors the same way that they were in 2021. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if voters elect candidates that 
are promising sort of a return to normal, uh, maybe even call it the status quo of the pre-pandemic times, or if people are still sort of open, you know, Seattle is a progressive place. Seattle has progressive voters. And so it also equally wouldn't surprise me if we see candidates who have sort of policy positions about addressing root causes, addressing behavioral health crises with concerted outreach, things like that, that those candidates could also take office next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that I would say personally is front of mind for me is also just affordability. And so, yeah, I would imagine I would imagine a candidate who is talking about that is going to gain some traction as well. (laughs) Yeah, that certainly has not become any less of a a problem. The the morning we're recording this, the Seattle Times published an article about how Seattle is once again taking the title of fastest growing city or metro region in the area. So our brief respite that was hardly a respite because it came during the pandemic uh, is it seems to be over. And so... Okay. Yeah, there's there's a ton of work to do on housing, too. And I think uh, that will also resonate with a lot of voters who are, you know, looking at the housing market, whether it's the absurd cost of an apartment to rent or the absurd cost of a house to buy and mm-hmm. looking for somebody who can chip away at that problem, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I guess the reason we're talking about all of this right now is because um, officially the deadline for a candidate to file to run in the race this fall would be May 19th. So that's, it is the official launch of campaign season right now. However, that means it's the official launch, but it's also kind of too early to tell a lot of stuff. What are kind of the big other dates that people should look out for? I guess there's only two we really need to think about, huh? Yeah, so I think the two most important dates for listeners to keep in mind are August 1st is primary election day, and Tuesday, November 7th, is the general election. And uh, after that, sort of no matter who gets elected, we're going to have a bunch of new faces on the council starting in 2024. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Josh Cohen and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Bumgarten. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docu-series we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.